Welcome to Writers Radio. I'm Ingrid Rose, your host for our program, Woman Disrupted. I talk with poet and visual artist Susan Andrews Grace about her recent poetry book, Hypatia's Wake, published by Inanna Publications in 2022. Hypatia, you might ask, who's that? Before I read these poems, I didn't know. Hypatia was a philosopher, astronomer, mathematician, and people came from all over to study with her. She lived in Alexandria, roughly between 355 and 415 CE. Before you read the opening preface, really, to set up the poetry, can you tell us what drew you to her? It was in the kitchen of Anne Shumagowski, the poet in Saskatoon, and I had read about this woman who seemed so important, and she had been murdered by a band of monks, but I couldn't remember her name. And Anne Shumagowski, who knew everything and had an encyclopedia uh, kind of mind, said, oh, that would be Hypatia. And she essentially told me the whole history of Hypatia, which is like half a page. Um, and uh, so it stuck in my mind. That would have been in the early 80s. Then I came across her again when I was finishing up my BA in a real hurry, my 29-year BA in philosophy. She came up in a class I was taking. I was really curious and asked the professor, and he told me about the one reliable book because there was all this fanciful stuff that had been written about her. It's called Hypatia's Wake. And of course, that's already such a poetic title for, for me. It was, of course, the boat is gone, but <laughs> her influence, right? The wake is still troubling and stirring us. But I also mm-hmm. thought of wake up. Mm-hmm. And I found quite a lot of the references and the poetry that refers to your own life and, and being a woman and what that's like being a woman yeah. all these centuries later. So you're going to first read, and I love the title of this. This is right at the beginning of the book, and it's a gloss of tangled language relevant to invisibility. It says a thread of déréliction. It's a term that Luce Irigaray, the French philosopher, uses and um, about women, that they're without hope. And she said that a society that doesn't keep the mother's name is dangerous and derelict and without hope. And that was the thing that impressed me so much when I started to look into Hypatia, that her father was known because he was the keeper, the librarian, the head librarian of the Library of Alexandria, where they lived. But there is no mention of her uh, mother name anything about her it was like she didn't exist which in that time women were like one 
uh, philosopher said, they're like the weather. They're just there. This is Susan Andrews Grace reading the beginning of her poetry book, Hypatia's Wing. The gloss is of the term double bind, and I'm using the dictionary, and I'm being quite rude at times. A gloss of tangled language, relevant to invisibility, a thread of dereliction. Definition, noun, one. Double bind, psychology, an unresolvable dilemma, situation in which a person receives contradictory messages from a person who is very powerful. Two, a situation in which a person must choose between equally unsatisfactory alternatives, a punishing and inescapable dilemma. Synonym, dilemma, quandary, state of uncertainty or perplexity, especially as requiring a choice between equally unfavorable options. Bind, a gloss, verb, transitive, one, to tie or fasten with a cord, umbilical or dressing gown or Roman shade. Two, to fasten, encircle, gird, the underwear, where we are, under where we were. Three, to bandage up, swath, often with up or slathered with love equals Y equals X plus extra Y chromosome equals outside the mathematical suicide Double X chromosome commits as it wants. Four, to constrain or obligate as by moral authority. Binding the you to the me to equals we. First person plural, the philosophical we. Lost in its strictures, we are the others. Virginia's outsiders, forever outside church, university, law, the binding of five, law, to subject to a definite legal obligation, and six, to stitch, fasten together, and enclose between covers. Under the covers, under cover, we sew our eyes and ears and mouths shut to conform to law, and seven, to provide with a border for reinforcement or decoration. The housewife's soul is big as the house and bigger, as the earth so below, beyond the narrow good, the cord or tie. Eight, the cause to cohere, cement, her relationship to household fealty, faulty as the foundation on which it is built. Nine, to constipate as in history, third leg of the stool. Ten, to make irrevocable, seal as in a bargain, some bargain. Eleven, to apprentice or indenture, often with out or over as household enslaved people held in arms of domesticity and democracy, which can't afford freedoms in creatures meant for pleasure. Twelve, to tie up anything is to have control. Thirteen, to cohere, stick together, the boys club or old boys club. Fourteen, to have binding force, be obligatory, is what's going on below. Fifteen, to become stiff and hard as cement, jam or gears, to say nothing of jam gears, or he good-naturedly gave her the gears. Sixteen, music, to tie, musical phrase to be tied over to one's lover, is to understand how binding in a bind can be. U.S. informal, 
or formal for that matter, what matters in a tight situation, Old English, binden, doubly. Double a gloss, adjective, one, combined with another usually identical one, repeated, a double consonant, double vibration, voiced or voiceless, made by contact or constrictions, click, clack, click, clack, stiletto music, chains, her life in chains. Two, two together, two combined, double lines or lives, double day, not a publisher, but a diurnal reality. Three, having two parts, applications, function, functions, etc., twofold, duple. Four, more than one, not single, dual, a double row. Five, consisting of two layers laid end to end across the earth. Six, made for two, a double bed across the earth, things made for two. Seven, twice as great, as large, as many, etc., a double fair, a double day, a double load, but unfair. Eight, extra heavy, large, wide, etc., a double blanket, double woven, thick, pulled to his side, even though he's the warm one. Nine, marked by duplicity, two-faced, a double life, street angel, home devil, Mr. Jones. Ten, music producing tones one octave lower than the notes indicated on a score, said of an instrument, of eleven, botany, having the petals increased in number, lotus flower, for example. Double noun, one, something that is twice as much as two, one who or that which closely resembles another, duplicate. Oh, we do resemble each other in our complicity. We think this is normal. Three, a player or singer who can substitute for another understudy for domesticity. There is always another ready to take her place, whoever she is, never irreplaceable, because she is Aristotle's flower pot, waiting to be planted with seed. Four, in motion pictures, one who substitutes for a star in dangerous feats. We do that, stand in for a Marilyn or a Merrill or a Mae West in the dangerous feats of love and marriage and babies and riveting rivets, dividing divots, the dust of which we are made. Five, a sharp or backward turn as of a hunted fox. The hunts aren't over, they continue. Gods and dogs and bitches alike hunting the bushy-tailed vixen. Six, a trick or stratagem. Hunters tell us they are not tricks, just accidents of history or idiots or the combination thereof. Seven, a fold or pleat. Folding the laundry, the pastoral fold, the sheep fold, deeply resonate. The kick plead a kicker in the behind of a skirt's temptation, but allows the woman to walk away in church as elsewhere. Eight, ecclesiastical a feast at which the antiphon is said both before and after the songs, Amen. The song that keeps repeating, double time, double life, a responsive, versicle, doublet of anthem. Nine, plural, in tennis, etc., a game having two players on each side, like keeping up with the Joneses, the couple scene. Ten, in baseball, a fair hit, 
that enables the batter to reach second base without benefit of an error. But the question is, what is a fair hit? Mr. Jones hasn't stopped hitting. He reached second base on the fourth date a long time ago. Without the benefit of an error on his wife's part, she's now just batty. 11. In bridge, the act of challenging an opponent's bid by increasing its value, and thus the penalty if the contract is not fulfilled. Also a hand warranting such an act. On the double, double time, quickly, doubling. Susan Andrew Grace reading from her book of poems, Hypatia's Wake, a gloss of tangled language relevant to invisibility, a thread of dereliction. Thank you. Quite the mixture of pokes at our system, the double bind, the double-faced philosophies that underlie our, our society in relationship to women, that women still that Victorian, like children, to be seen but not heard. But obviously, Hypatia was heard by a lot of people. So even though there are no actual writings of hers, I believe, right. there's, there's enough about her to actually trace a credible history. Mm -hmm. Because of the people she was involved with politically, because it appears she was um, interceding, because um, Alexandria at that time was a Roman colony, and there were Jews there who weren't treated very well, and then this crazy sect of Jews called Christians who were a problem, a real problem. She was defending both of them, saying that everybody could live in the city. She was considered pagan, is that right? Yes, she was considered pagan. She considered herself without religion. And um, yes, but it does seem that she was involved in various rituals that might have been pagan. But we don't really know. Like We know from Synesius, one of her students, his writing has survived, and he wrote letters to her. His survived, but hers didn't. So we have a bit of an idea from that, but not a lot. <laughs> yes. So she was a Neoplatonist. Can you explain a little bit what that is? My previous book, Philosopher at the Skin Edge of Being, was about Plotinus. He was considered the father of Neoplatonism. Her being a Neoplatonist just meant probably that she taught Plotinus to her students. And Plotinus only thought that he was improving on uh, Plato, like that was all that he meant to do, because he wasn't a well-educated person. His Greek was bad and his handwriting even worse, so it was like he wasn't even translated into English until I think the mid-20th century. The double bind, not just for women, it's for those who don't fit into the mm -hmm. elite the, uh, of literature, considered literate. So what was it that he added to Plato? The sort of philosophical rumor about him was 
that it was very close to Buddhism and Plotinus wanted very badly to go to India and tried to go with the army, uh, was turned back. So he never did get there. People knew that about him. That was what interested me. So I looked at Taoism and Plotinus in that book and tried to find the parallels in each. What would you say, if you could even name it, because you wrote a book about it, so maybe that's it's just in the book, was driving you these questions in you that was driving you to create this woman or recreate, bring her to life for the reader. Susan Howe says that the archives are perplexing and uh, it, the gaps and the margins that women find themselves. What I've been doing is trying to find those places. And when I first read that quote by Susan Howe, I thought, that's, that's what I do, is <laughs> trying to find that, those places that are off the page. It feels so relevant because in spite of all the so-called progress we've made, it still mm -hmm. feels that women are relatively invisible, that we mm -hmm. still live in a patriarchal world. Mm -hmm. We do. <laughs> I was wondering if you would read, I love this one, on page 25, Hypatia was born around 355 CE in Alexandria. She didn't spring from Zeus's forehead. Not. Philosophy is the one thing they will not allow a woman to do, writes Luce Irrigary. My friend Jacqueline tells me that drinking gin while reading Irrigary helps. In a camasine wind, particles a little larger than light waves scatter red, cause a blue sun more rare than the blue moon, but also as Egyptian. Untangle. Philosophy not allowed. Alexandria's ancient seaside, history's constancy, conquerors and conquered, humanity and scholarship without a mother, the sea older. She sparkles whether poisoned or not, reflects light as does the lucky stone of Isis, famous lighthouse at sea's edge. You were mentioning, I found that interesting, that sometimes you feel that the visual art realizes more than you do with words. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I think because it takes so much thinking to write a poem. <laughs> like it, There's so much that's taken out in order for it to be really visually and orally clear and intellectually clear. By the time I've written a poem, I really understand the territory. And so when I go to do the visual work, I'm able to say things more clearly with the materials. Would you read on 47, Hypatia lectured on ontology, and then just one of 
Synesius's letters to her because that those come those that's some of the evidence, right? Right. Yes. Yes. The the concrete evidence of the, her existence. Mm-hmm. And her effect. She was known all over the world, the, the, the known world at that time, that people came from all over the known world to um, study with her. Hypatia lectured on ontology and ethics, mathematics, and astronomy. We know nothing of Hypatia's maternal ontology, a situation common in any age. We know only that her father, Theon, Alexandrian librarian, wanted to make a perfect human of his daughter, and that Synesius wrote to her, his letters survived and hers didn't. Feminine imagination and eternal knowledge, as herself's dream and exaltation, the great fluidity loves and pairs civilization with timeless devotion. Synesius to Hypatia, one, quote, I seem destined to play the part of an echo. Whatever sounds I catch, these I repeat. I now pass on to you the praises of the marvelous Alexander, unquote, written 394 CE. Synesius' seven letters to Hypatia, plenitude in a vacuum of evidence, she existed, addressed her as the philosopher, loved her mind and teaching, loved her friends such as his uncle Alexander, and hated her enemies. Bumbly Bishop of Ptolemaeus records his life an echo. We wonder why she didn't write back, or if she did, why her letters were mislaid or stolen in the deserts of Libya on their way to him. We don't know. We can't know fluidity of future or past. We leave Cyanesius of Cyrene waiting to hear. This letter ends abruptly. Mm, yes, and and of course there are six more, and he's never getting an answer. Yet he continues to write them, mm-hmm. which one feels she must have had um, a very potent effect. Yes, mine yeah. and others. Yeah, and and Libya was at that time and still is, I guess. It's still a really dangerous place. There's all sorts of marauders and plus it's, it's like a hostile environment. Um, and then the, I don't know if they would go overland or by sea because the Mediterranean was, as we know now, the boats were tossed around a lot in storms at that time. There's a, there's a very funny account he gives of being, um, in a storm on sea and paints himself as this bumbly character, bald, and he, he sounds like a, a lovable guy. <laughs> but I also hear, as you describe the topography a bit, 
also just how contemporary this story is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of your intentions is to draw the parallels. Mm-hmm. And that even, well, I was going to say, even though it doesn't mean her end was horrible, it was a group of those crazy monks who tore her to pieces, basically, right? Yeah, They think it was a, a group of what ended up being the Desert Fathers out in the desert and probably fasting and getting crazy and came in and, and tore her to pieces. Or... Uh, Somebody hired them to do it. But there is this echo with the, all the Me Too now, that the, 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 there are different ways of tearing women to pieces today. Oh. Yeah. The week that the book was launched in Nelson was the week I dedicated the reading to the murdered and, and missing Indigenous women in Canada, the women of Iran, and Gina Ormashi Amini and all the other women lost to history. You've been listening to A Woman Disrupted on Writers Radio. Poet and visual artist Susan Andrews Grace read from her recent book Hypatia's Wake published by Inanna in 2022. A pleasure to be talking with Susan about the remarkable philosopher, astronomer, and mathematician, Hypatia, and how women can leave their mark long after they've been disrupted. I'm Ingrid Rose. My appreciation for my co-hosts and co-producers of Writers Radio, Carol Harmon and Gary Sill who is also our music man. And to you, our listeners, thank you for listening. You have been listening to Writers Radio, a non-commercial collaborative project which presents talented writers reading their own work. These stories, essays and conversations revisit the long tradition of oral storytelling that connects us to the inspiration behind the words. Be sure to check the website, writersradio.ca, to subscribe to our free notifications list. It's also a way of letting the writers know you are there and appreciating their creative work. Writers Radio broadcasts from Half Moon Bay on the Sunshine Coast in Canada. Traditional tribal land of the Shishel Nation of the Coast Salish peoples. We express our gratitude for their wisdom teachings and land stewardship.